All right, all right. Okay, 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 okay. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> Mr. Christopher, the Funktopia Radio Show. Man, I'm still not totally situated, but it is going to be what it is going to be. Uh, I hope everybody's doing well. Um, I'm curious if um, uh, you probably want to... Um, uh, anyways, I don't know what you probably want to do. Uh, I'm going to be doing... Throughout the night, I'm actually going to be doing some uh, a giveaway for Eric Leeds and Paul Peterson. Uh, they have a band, obviously, you guys know. Uh, a lot of you already know. band is LP. That's right, LP. So you want to pay attention to some of the stuff that I'm saying tonight because I'm going to be giving away not one, but two copies of their CD. Um, I had three. Actually, I had four, but one of them is mine. Uh, and then one of them I just gave away on the Facebook Live. Uh, don't worry if you're wondering if you were the seventh email. I have not quite gotten to the point where I have opened up that email to see if <laughs> who that seventh person was. Uh, but that was not really a trivia question. That was simply just a matter of um, just being the seventh person. It's kind of like being the seventh caller. It's not really anything special. I will send an email out and I will let you know when I have sent that seventh email out so that if you have an opportunity to win these other two that I'm going to be giving away during Funkatopia Live here, you will have that option. And again, I have two CDs, shrink wrapped and all. Yep. Complete shipped from Minneapolis, hand shipped from myself, from Minneapolis, directly from Paul Peterson. Via Delta. Anyways, we are, it was so much fun. Let me tell you, the, the celebration was an amazing, amazing event. As it always is, every year there's always so much that's going on. Uh, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of talk about, uh, you know, how they kind of handled it this year. Uh, a lot of people were kind of noticing that the, um, they kind of used a little bit of, um, people are dinging me here. Uh, I don't, uh, somebody just texted me, did I make, did I reach seven yet? I'm not exactly sure. I have not counted it. Just, just, uh, I'm, we, we may be, we probably are at seven, I would imagine. Um, anyways, so some people were um, asking me, hey, what are some of the things that you were, things that you, you did? Um, and, and I have all of that for you. So we're talking about the celebration. We're, we're talking about, see, this, this is the reason why I can't have my phone anywhere near me while I'm doing this event is because I get, I just, I can't chew gum and walk at the same time. I'm just like a total uh, knucklehead when it comes to that kind of stuff. Anyways, um, we, we were talking about the celebration. People were talking about, oh, well, you know, they brought in cars and they, they parked them sideways on the left-hand side of the sound stage along with a bunch of uh, a kit and some, uh, and some outfits from, uh, from Batman. And an unusual thing, a little, here's a little side note before I go down this rabbit hole. A little side note, um, I noticed something on, they, had, they started putting these placards up on, in the various areas. And I noticed something that was on a placard that I have a note on here in my blue notebook, but, uh, Michael Dean went live, I guess it was yesterday or was it this morning? I can't remember when it was. And he brought it up too. And I was like, Oh, I'm so glad that he brought it up because I thought for sure that I was the only person who noticed this. And that is, uh, on that placard for Batman, it says that Batman was originally supposed to be a project for Michael Jackson and Prince to work together. And I, I just, 
I read that and I said, certainly that's wrong. <laughs> that certainly can't be right. Can it? Can't be right. That can't be right. I feel like I'm, I'm too loud. Hold on a second. I have to take down some of this gain and, and see if I can kind of uh, make some adjustments and, and uh, definitely because I, sometimes I talk too loud and it kind of caps out and I want to make sure that I don't cap out. And But I also don't want to be too, um, you know, I just got to make sure. Anyways, uh, so yeah, I was so glad that I wasn't the only one to notice that I cannot imagine what that soundtrack would have sounded like if it was half Michael Jackson and half Prince. And Michael Dean made a good point in, in the uh, live thing that he did. He had mentioned, you know, maybe Michael Jackson was going to be Batman and Prince was going to end up being the Joker. Uh, maybe that was what the original intent was going to be for them working on it together. I don't know. It sounds like total and complete ridiculousness to me. I've never read that anywhere. Um, maybe, maybe Dwayne Tudal can give me a call and let me know <laughs> whether or not he heard that. I, I, sometimes I say things and Dwayne goes, yeah, I know. Did you not read my book? <laughs> Matter of fact, it was Dwayne's birthday while we were at the celebration, and it was funny because I was staying at, um, I was staying at this hotel that was right across the street from the host hotel, uh, which was the Hilton Bloomington, and I was staying at the hotel across the way called American A M E R I C I N N Bloomington, uh, which I guess is owned by Wyndham, and it was it was fine, it was perfectly fine. I was not about to spend you know over one hundred and seventy dollars a night for a room that I was only going to be in to sleep in and then go, if I was staying there and that was like my whole intent is that I was going to end up being, you know, stuck in this hotel for a prolonged period of time. That would be one thing, but that's not at all what was going on whatsoever. So, uh, I, I had no problem going into the American, which was only 69 bucks a night. Uh, it was fantastic. It had free breakfast. It had free Wi-Fi. It had, uh, and good Wi-Fi. There was no upgrade Wi-Fi things or anything like that. It was, it was perfectly fine. It was perfectly good. Wally Safford uh, was there. He, uh, we hung out a little bit. We talked quite a bit. Um, it was just, it's a perfectly fine hotel. Anyways, so I was parked there and this particular hotel has a Denny's attached to it. And I was getting in my car to go to, I think, I can't remember where I was going. Um, I think I was going, I was going to Jelly Bean Johnson's event. Um, nothing compares to pee. And as I was getting in the car, which was parked in the first parking spot right next to where the Denny starts and the hotel ends, uh, I see Dwayne Tudor walking up the sidewalk and, and Facebook had thankfully reminded me that it was his birthday. And so I said, happy birthday. And he goes, oh my gosh, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just getting in the car to go to Jelly Bean Johnson. And he says, Oh yeah, it's just thank you for wishing me happy birthday. I was just about to go in here and and have uh, my birthday dinner, and I was like, "You're having your birthday dinner. You're eating birthday dinner alone at Denny's." And he just kind of dropped his head. He was like, "Yeah," I was like, "No, that's not good. That's not going to work at all." So I took Dwayne over to the um, this restaurant that was across the way, Joe Senso's or Senses or something like that. It was actually really good, and so we actually got to hang out and you know, chat about Prince, of course. And uh, talk about all things Prince, and that's kind of where that came from. So, sorry, I, you know how I am. I start going down rabbit holes. Anyways, I've got a lot to talk about because we, we've got so much to talk about in regards to the celebration. And there's so many things that are happening. And um, um, the some people are, are kind of wanted to know... Um, uh, some people were asking, who, who's, who's the special guest that you... Um, 
Who's a special guest that you wanted to, to have on? Hold on a second. I'm going to tell you guys who got won the CD. Hold on a second. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Diane Parker, you won the CD. Diane Parker in Charleston, South Carolina, you won the LP CD. So if you're not Diane Parker, if you're not, not Diane Parker, uh, you have uh, you, you haven't won a CD. So keep an, keep an ear out. Keep an ear out. And I'm going to ask you some trivia questions, and uh, there will be one that will happen within this first hour, and I'll give you give away a CD, and then there'll be one in the next hour, and I'll give away the other CD. So we'll be doing that. Um, again, the CD is Eric Leeds and Paul Peterson's uh, brand new album. It, the band is called LP, as you know. Eric Leeds, that's where the L comes from, and Paul Peterson, that's where the P comes from, LP, but it also obviously stands for vin the vinyl albums that we all grew up with. You want to pick up this CD yourself and support the artist, you can do that at leedspetersonmusic.com, L-E-E-D-S-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N, music, Leeds Peterson music.com the brand new album is called no words and it's really freaking good and the show was fantastic too by the way they always put on a fan phenomenal show i mean those guys are just insane so congratulations diane and uh for those of you who are not diane just keep an ear out keep an ear out first person that gives me the right answer to my trivia questions when i ask it you'll win the other copy all right or one of the other two anyways so again celebration fantastic so much fun um the it started on Thursday, April twenty fifth, and of course went through till Sunday twenty eighth, and um, it's uh, it's it's pretty freaking cool. It's a lot of it, it's just a lot of stuff going on to kind of give you an idea. I'll do a rundown of kind of how everything worked out. Um, Thursday night, there was a concert screening. Uh, I was on track group B, so there's there's different groups, so not everybody's schedule is going to be the same. But I am doing the track one group B listing. So when we kind of go through this, if you went to the celebration, if you were on track two or you were in group A or B of, of track uh, group A of track one, the schedule is not going to be the same. It's perfectly fine. It's okay. Just follow along. We'll eventually get to the, and some things were actually shifted from for days. That's what we did last year. But anyways, Thursday they had a concert, a concert screening and all the concert screenings are uh, showcase concert footage that's never been seen before. Um, and then of course they had a Jesse Johnson panel and then they had a funk soldiers uh, panel and then Jesse Johnson did a concert. And then on Friday they had another concert screening. They had Jeff Katz do a panel kind of showing off some of his uh, photography. Then they had a graffiti bridge panel. And then of course we all jetted down to downtown Minneapolis to go to the armory to see Prince in concert on the big screen. Saturday, it was a Bob Cavallo panel. And then also um, we got to do a museum tour and got to see another concert screening and then the funk soldiers concert. And then, the final day was another yet another concert screening, and I'm going to talk about all these concert screenings and exactly what they played. Uh, the Revolution a panel, then the second part of the museum tour, and then the Revolution concert finished off the night, which was obviously perfect. So that ended up working fantastically well. So, um, anyways, so all of that to say, um, it was a good show. I think that what people kind of um, I think what people were seeing was was a diminished audience, 
it wasn't it wasn't as packed as it was last year and i think that's that's going to continue to progressively happen unless they kind of do something different um i think that they've kind of they've already been through the the been through the ringer as far as um the bands that they can pick up i mean they've done the family they've i mean the only bands that they have not done uh that are prince related are maserati uh apollonia six uh vanity six which obviously is not going to happen um and and new power generation i think those are the only ones really left that are really kind of really attached to prince that actually had full albums and full scenarios where prince wrote all of their music. Um, I, I think that's, I, I really honestly think that they're really going to have to mix things up and I don't know what the answer to that's going to be. Um, we had kind of, um, but they repositioned things in the soundstage where they had, um, they had cars, they had two cars that he had. It was like a BMW and, and there was another car too. Um, and, I'm not a car guy. I'm sorry. So for all you car fanatics out there going, oh my God, it was a 1956. What? I, I don't, I really could give a flying flippity do. It's not, it's anyways, they had two cars parked, not sideways. They were kind of pointing out. So kind of like to take up as much room as they possibly could. And there was the, the chairs, the seating was, was diminished. Um, and a lot of people noticed it. So wh- whether or not they thought that it was, you know, not an obvious thing, it was an obvious thing. It, w- it was obvious to a lot of people. A lot of people were bringing it up and talking about it. Oh my gosh, what do you think about that? Um, and if on top of that, if you got on, in town on Wednesday, if you tried to buy a ticket on Wednesday, the website said it was sold out. So um, I think they really kind of wanted it to be perceived like it was a sold out event, or maybe that's as much and as many people as they wanted. Maybe they said, you know what, we did this last year, that's too many people we need to cap it out at this or I don't know what the reasoning was, but um, a lot of people were kind of speculating. What do we do? What does celebration do moving forward to kind of keep this ball rolling and to keep the momentum? Now, obviously momentum is not really the appropriate word in, in this particular case, because there is uh, just because it's not, um, I'm trying to think of the correct word. Um, it's 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 been declining, and I, I might be wrong. Uh, maybe maybe it's not declining. Um, the pricing obviously went up from the first celebration that they did um, for you know posthumously, um, but um, I think that probably one of the things that they definitely could do is to make it a music festival. I mean, the people seemed the most intrigued with the concert screenings uh, and seeing the live music. That seemed to be what people were were mostly intrigued with. And I'm not saying that that's you know right or wrong, but I think if you made it a music festival, if you made it, um, maybe stop being so obsessive about the whole phone thing. Um, I, I get that you want people to be in the moment, so maybe that's okay inside of the concert hall. Um, I, maybe I'm wrong about that too, but I just... I think they get kind of a little bit heavy handed with some of the stuff and that's fine. I think they kind of want to make sure that people come out there and make it so that you have to see it. Uh, but there's pictures around anyways. So I just think that you should be able to have at least somebody in there that's warranted to take some type of footage to kind of get things going. Because if you're not going to release footage, then somebody does. Somebody needs to do it. But I, one of my ideas was, and I kind of bounced this off of some other people to kind of get their thoughts on it. And I said, you know, 
maybe you know make it a music festival you know wh why can't you have you know bands that were obviously very very heavily influenced by prince and have plenty of prince stories to tell like the roots like janelle monet like lenny kravitz yes i'm fully aware that they are uh more expensive acts to have in there but uh, with more expensive acts means also that there's going to be more people that are going to be willing to come. Uh, and on top of that, to get that level of story, um, to get, I mean, Lenny Kravitz has all kinds of insane Prince stories. Questlove has all types of insane Prince stories. Have Questlove come in and do a DJ set and make it a huge dance party in there and let Questlove come in and do a DJ set if you don't want the Roots playing there because you think it's too far removed from what they do. Fine. Let Questlove spin and do his thing. Um, I, I just think there's so many different things that you could do to kind of make this and take this celebration to the next level that it doesn't make any sense not to do that. Um, because w where honestly do you go? Because the only thing you're going to do if you're sticking with bands that were, you know, signed to Paisley Park or, you know, were specifically in his realm, you, you've run out of bands. Well, bands that you're willing to bring in there for whatever reasoning that there is that that MPG has never played there. I, I don't under I don't know what the whole thing is. I think I know. I heard an assumption about what's going on, um, but whatever. Uh, I, I don't I don't know what the right answer is. I'm just telling you. I'm trying to come up with some ideas because obviously we want Paisley Park to continue having a successful run. We want Prince's legacy to continue on, and that legacy um, definitely is. Uh, I was going to say proceeds, but it's not, that's not the word. Uh, supersedes, I guess is the actual word. Uh, the bands that he directly worked with because there's so many stories and so many bands that worked with him um, that are big and huge. I mean, I know this, it's a far cry to be able to think, Oh, well, get Alicia, Alicia Keys in there, get Beyonce in there. I mean, those are insane ideas, but it could easily work because you just don't have just Paisley Park. I mean, you have, it's just, things can be done. And you don't think Beyonce and 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 would be willing to kind of, you know, take a little bit less of money to, to kind of help keep Paisley Park alive and keep things moving? I, I don't know. I'm just, just spouting ideas. Just spouting ideas is all that I'm doing. So, um, yes, I got a lot of bit of of feedback from people that kept coming up to me. Oh, Chris this is perfect. Let's talk about this. Uh, and so there's a lot of concern. There's concern that people just kind of saw the difference between the, the level of crowd that was there this year compared to last year. I get it. I get it. Totally, totally get it. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to kill myself, um, you know, worrying about it either. So let's start talking about the celebration. Actually, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the events, some of the things that happened uh, the day before the event, because I got in on uh, Wednesday, and of course we could, we were allowed to come up and pick up our passes at the Hilton Minneapolis Bloomington. We did uh, went to uh, Eric's Paisley Five and Dime pre-party at Gluck's on that on that day that happened from six o'clock until 2 a.m. And it had, it featured DJ Nevermind, DJ Spooky, Dwayne Tudor was there, Troy Gua, Kim Berry, Alan Ballou, uh, Patia Adonis. And um, they also, he also had quite a bit, it was a fundraiser for Rosie Gaines and that when that was going on at uh, Gluck's. And also coming up, coming in there, we saw, um, I mean, even in the limited amount of time that I was there, I mean, I was there for a couple hours, and uh, Bobby Z came in. Uh, Dr. Fink came in. Uh, obviously, Bobby Z's wife, Vicky, she was there. 
And uh, also, uh, who else? Who else all came in? There was somebody. Else. I, I, Wally obviously came in because Wally and I were hanging out. Um, Wally came in. Um, who else was there? Oh, Paul Peterson was also there. So I mean, there was people that were coming in there quite a bit. Unfortunately, the way that Glukes is set up, it's 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 a long bar and it has a table straight down the middle and a bunch of people sitting on both sides of that table, and then on the on each side of that table, additionally, there are more tables that are alongside of a wall. And then on the other side, you have uh, chairs that go along a bar. So there's not a whole bunch of uh, a good good traffic patterns. And all of the people that were VIP guests of sorts were kind of walked into the building and didn't really mingle with the guests. They kind of came in and walked all the way to the back and were put into this private area and it was kind of like well it's huh, you know well we know they're here we know that they're in the building so i guess you know it was just kind of one of those things where a little bit it would have been great for the kind of mingle a little bit but it was it was a good party they had good music and um it was just uh it was a lot of fun i mean there was it was just a lot of fun lots of stuff going on there lots of stuff going on there um, and Tracy Blake's band uh, played as well. And so that was all good. It was just great. It's just got a lot of stuff going on. But at the same time, at the same time, Alfonso, Alfonso Star's party was actually happening right down the street at the poorhouse. And of course, Alfonso was all DJ, so all music. And of course, he knows how to put on a party because you walk in and he's got uh, all kinds of really cool stuff that's going on. I mean, giving away flags, giving away posters and they're dancing. And he's got, you know, he's changing outfits just as often as Prince changes outfits in concert. And he's got two dancers on the front of the stage, kind of keeping up the hype. And, uh, there is merchandise tables and, uh, all kinds of things that are going on. And it's just amazing. It's just, it's, he, he definitely knows how to put on a show for sure. Uh, but there was a couple other things that were going on as well, but we are here to talk about the days of the celebration, but I wanted to kind of go over the couple of things that I was actually, um, you know, involved with or saw anyways, um, at the, uh, at the festival. So if you're sending me emails, I, I can't really take a look. <laughs> I just can't look right now. I just can't look. I've got so much to talk about and I have no idea how long it's going to take me to get through it all. So we're going to try our darndest to get through it all. So Thursday, April 25th is kind of where we will start. And Thursday, April 25th, as I said, um, the celebration started at uh, 11 o'clock. Well, again, again, remember, we're talking about track one, group B, well, track one, 11 o'clock, and they did a concert screening. And uh, the concert screening, many of you have already, you know, knew that the time had performed at First Avenue and that for that first, um, for that show, uh, I'm trying to pull this stuff up here. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so I'm trying to get all my notes here, make sure that I'm, I'm as thorough as I possibly, possibly can be. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so when you first get there, they're, they're kind of showing uh, pictures from the previous celebration. So when you get into the sound stage where they're going to be doing the concert screening, um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of got a little bit. The concert screening was of the time at uh, First Avenue, which was the same concert that they actually took The Bird and Jungle Love from uh, those performances. And those are the ones that are on Ice Cream Castle. Um, and that is kind of what they had. Uh, but 
before the concert actually started, which I thought was a which was kind of cool because they were actually playing the time, and that was really kind of different for a Prince event. Uh, but it's totally relevant, and I get it. So what was cool was that um, they kind of made some selections from that concert, uh, and because it's not it wasn't the whole entire show, but that's perfectly fine. But before the concert screening even started, they had this, you know, their big, huge 25-foot screen, or however large it is. It's a massive, massive screen. And they're showing pictures from the celebration. And, of course, uh, that was where they kind of shared the information that Prince's new album, Originals, is going to be uh, coming out. Um, it is, you know, Prince wrote lots of music for tons of his protégés, including More Stay in the Time and Sheila E and Vanity Six and all those. And, um, and I, apparently his versions, the ones that they kind of run all of this stuff from his versions are going to be released. Um, and it is going to be done on uh, June 7th, his birthday. And, uh, it's going to be released digitally on title exclusively on June 7th. And then on all the other streaming platforms a couple of weeks later um, on 621. And it will be out the delu- it will be out in the deluxe physical edition. Oh my gosh, this is kind of all over the place. I- I'm like so screwed up on these times. So Prince Originals is going to be released. It's going to be streaming on title exclusively on June 7th. Then it will have a wide release on Warner Brothers on all of the streaming platforms. So everything else, you know, Apple iTunes and uh, Spotify and all those on June 21st. Then there will be a physical edition that will come out on CD and 180 gram purple vinyl on July 19th. So there are three totally different release days. So you're going to be able to hear it digitally first. I'm okay with digital because I like to be able to kind of hear things before I actually commit to buying a physical copy. It was obviously something that we didn't have the, the, the luxury of doing when we, you know, in the eighties uh, or seventies even. Uh, so I, I, I kind of like this, but you have to do it anyways. But the track list is as follows. Sex shooter, which is originally done by Apollonia six jungle love by the time manic Monday by the bangles noon rendezvous by Sheila E makeup by vanity six, hundred miles per hour by Maserati. You're my love by Kenny Rogers, which I've never heard Prince's version of that. Uh, I can't even really honestly think if I've ever heard the Connie Rogers version of that. Holly Rock, sorry, uh, by Sheila E., which I was not aware that he was involved in for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, Baby, You're a Trip, Jill Jones. The Glamorous Life, Sheila E., Gigolos Get Lonely Too, The Time, Love, Thy Will Be Done, Martika. I've heard that one. Dear Michelangelo, Sheila E., Wouldn't You Love to Love Me, which is a Tajah Savelle song. And then, of course, closing out with Nothing Compares to You, which was originally done by the family and then, of course, made even more popular by Shanae O'Connor. But these are all going to be Prince doing all of these songs. So he recorded the songs, he recorded the music with his vocals, and that's kind of where they got the layout for it. So you're going to be able to get to hear Prince do all of those songs in their entirety, and you're going to be able to do that exclusively on title starting on June 7th. All all platforms on June 21st, and then of course, if you want to have you have to have the physical edition on CD or purple vinyl. July 19th is going to be the date for that. So that was actually one of the things that they had showcased on the screen, and then of course, the concert started. So the concert features um, 
what was interesting is is that they came out and introduced the family uh, of Prince before they started the the concert. Um, so Taika came out, Omar came out, Sharon came out. Uh, J.D. Steele was actually the host for the for the entire event. For the uh, he's actually one of the, the obviously the singers and leaders of the Steels, and um, so they had the family come out to kind of say you know hello, thank you for coming out, thank you for helping to continue to support Paisley Park, and then of course they started um, then they started the show, which was a concert screening of the time um, at First Avenue, and it was interesting to see this. Um, it was interesting to see this video because it was kind of a cluster blank of audio problems. Uh, the first thing is, is that, you know, they start off with seven, 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 93, 11, and kind of Morris kind of comes out and is kind of feeling it and kind of letting it kind of go, letting the beat kind of go and letting the beat kind of move. And he's kind of getting into it and he's kind of feeling it. And, you know, he's kind of walking around and, you know, strutting it. And then he goes up to the mic to sing and realizes that he forgot to turn the mic on. So he has to reach around to turn the mic on. So you get to see all this and you get to hear all this. Um, they were having feedback in one of the, the vocal mics. And so it kept on feeding back all throughout 777-9311. It wasn't, it literally took him an entire song to be able to figure out how to kind of resolve that. So it was really kind of interesting to kind of see all this stuff going down and how they were handling themselves as far as, you know, how they were dealing with these audio issues and, and just seeing you're not seeing a polished thing you're seeing all the imperfections and everything that's there and that i think that really added a really cool element to it because it wasn't all this polished stuff that we're so used to seeing it was really showing a a, a really big haphazard thing that was going on um and again so it was seven 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 ninety three eleven. of course they had a lot of um uh, and of course then they played um uh, girl still in love with you. Uh, I can't remember the name of that song. Jungle love, and then of course he goes into the whole um, the donation speech. You know we're gonna pass around the hat, and we're gonna you know you put some money in. You took? Did you give? And did that whole thing? Did that whole speak? Uh, and then of course um, they started out wild and loose, and Morse kind of started off a little off key, which was again another unusual moment. And it was just it was just so awesome to see these imperfections and kind of see these things coming to fruition and kind of coming together until, you know, we got the final product, but it was just so cool to kind of see this stuff just kind of melding. Uh, then they did Gigolos Get Lonely too, Cool. And then of course, uh, The Bird. And it was kind of uh, a little bit interesting because, you know, you've got uh, Paul Peterson, who was obviously in the band um just just temporarily was only for for that show playing keyboards and then rocky harris who was right behind and and he was only in there for i mean he was only in the time just for like that performance that iconic performance and then he was like replaced like two i think it was like just a couple weeks later from uh with jerry hubbard so uh rocky killed it i mean he killed all the solos and everything but i just i just don't think that he had the look it just wasn't it was just, uh, it was the first time that anybody had really seen the video of that show. I think I heard you know, some people, other people saying, yeah, I, I, we've, I think all of us Prince heads have seen or have heard this recording, but it's, it's something else to, to see it. It's just something else to experience it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those weird, weird things. Uh, and then of course, after, after that concert, uh, footage, 
had, uh, after that concert footage had happened, then uh, Andrea Swenson uh, came out. She works for The Current, um, um, and she also has this book called There Must Be Something Here that is available for... Um, it's available that you can you can purchase. It talks about the Minneapolis music scene, and um, and the panels that we're going to be for today. Obviously, we're going to be uh, Jesse Johnson, uh, and I don't think that the Funk Soldiers. Won- oh, you know, just it was Funk Soldiers panel and Jesse Johnson panels. We had we had two panels today, and so I had the option to go to lunch in the lunch tent, but I had just eaten a late breakfast, so. There was going to be two Jesse Johnson panels. Group A was going to see the Jesse Johnson panel, and while Group B was at lunch, and then Group B was going to come back from lunch and see the Jesse Johnson panel when Group A went to lunch. So I just decided I just ate. I'm going to stay for both panels, and I'm kind of glad that I did because there's like little tidbits of information that happened in each one that I was kind of you know jotting down and kind of just taking it all in and just kind of vibing out and and trying to understand. Uh, First off, whether or not he was even going to talk anything about the uh, illegally recorded conversation that happened, uh, that ha- occurred while he was talking on the phone. Um, and he did. He did address it in the first panel, but he did not address it in the second panel. And he just, uh, I think, obviously, he was just very, very disappointed. And he's kind of um, upset, but he, he, you know, his feelings. And his animosity towards Prince does not change the fact that he loves Prince dearly. Um, and it's just like family. He's like just like a brother. You may have somebody in the family that just drives you friggin' insane for whatever that reasoning is, but it doesn't stop you from loving them. It's just it's just really annoying that they would do do things that they did. Um, and he kind of went into a little bit of detail about why it, in both panels he talked a little bit about uh, the fact that he was actually um, – when he decided to make the um, move from uh, the time to just going out and doing his own solo work, uh, Prince was very unhappy about it. He was just very, very unhappy. So unhappy, matter of fact, that he decided that he was going to he decided that he was going to to blackball him in the industry, and um, and that's kind of what agitated. Jesse the most. So he was trying to kind of get, get situated, uh, on his, on his own, on his own, uh, work. And I'm trying to find, uh, Howard Bloom is a big publicist that, uh, Jesse Johnson was trying to, to work with. And they were in the middle of closing a deal. And then Prince called Howard Bloom after they had already struck a deal, uh, but they didn't sign the paperwork. And then how, then the next day, Howard Bloom is telling him, no, he, uh, you know, Prince just basically told me that if I work with you, I, I'll never work with him again. And I just can't risk that because right now he's the biggest thing ever. And I can't risk that. And it seemed like that continually happened to Jesse over and over again, because he was obviously approaching the same uh, music industry professionals that, that Prince had, because they're essentially doing the same t- style of music. So these are the people that you go to, you know, rock has their thing and, and funk has their thing and R&B has their thing. You know, they, they all have different types of record industry professionals that handle certain styles of music. And Prince had essentially gone to all the people that work in the industry that are even remotely involved with the style of music that they were doing and pretty much had Jesse Johnson blackballed. Um, and that was the thing that kind of agitated Jesse more than anything. I mean, a lot of people wanted the impression, well, you know, he wrote jungle love. He, he, the, the song was in its entirety was 
with exception of lyrics in its entirety was created by Jesse Johnson. He wrote all the parts. There's even a demo on Jesse Johnson's Facebook page of the demo that he gave to Prince. Um, and it, it's jungle love almost, almost to the core with the exception of no lyrics and uh, Jesse Johnson's credit, no credit appears for him. And there's the same thing with the bird. And it's the same thing with the kid can't make you come, uh, which originally used to be called seven, I guess, or 17. Stop me when I get to 17. Anyways. Um, so I, I, I kind of understand Jesse Johnson's animosity. He wasn't really, he even identified in the panel that he really wasn't that upset about the fact that he didn't get credit for those songs. I would have been, that would have been the part that probably would have gotten to me the most. Because if you think of the type of sales that Ice Cream Castle had for the time and the amount of money that made, that that's that's a significant amount of money that you're not making because you're officially not really, you're, you're not being listed as the writer on that. You're not getting a cut of this album because you're not listed as any, as having anything to do with it. When in reality you're involved with half of the freaking album. So, and I know that this was a thing that Prince did, you know, quite frequently is that he would he, not quite frequently. I'm not going to say that. I mean, we look at Prince's volume of music and his full library of music that he has. It's amazing the quantity of work that he's done. So we're not talking about like hundreds of songs he's done. This there's been some handpicked things that have occurred of instances like this that have happened, uh, and it, it's it's just it's really just kind of. Um, it's kind of disheartening, but on the same note, you know, when Prince kind of got the vibe that he was kind of, that his life was kind of nearing its end, uh, and I know that a lot of people kind of have a lot of pushback about about that whole, um, th- but these little tidbits kept coming up about uh, whether or not Prince knew that he was going to be leaving us shortly, and it, and it appeared that he had some type of knowledge that he was, whether he felt it in his health, or whether he felt it, um, or he just knew it, I'm not saying anything suicidal, I'm just saying he he just knew something was going on, and he was intentionally trying to reach out to people to kind of make things right, um, he was, you know, he was calling people in and having them come out to Paisley Park to tell him, hey, we're, I'm fine, I'm good, just don't worry about me, save your prayers for a few days, um, he had, you know, reached out to, uh, more stay in the time, you know, to kind of, you know, smooth things over in that regard. He had even told Kim Berry uh, in her book, Diamonds and Curls, he had told her in the beginning of April, the month of his death, he told her in the beginning of April, um, it, it's, I'm, I'm going to be leaving soon. It's, I'm very soon, I'm going to be leaving. Um, and uh, so I, there's a lot of perception that he, he knew that he was going to be gone. And, um, he reached out to Jesse too, but Jesse was on tour. Jesse was working with D'Angelo trying to put together, um, you know, put together his album, uh, the Black Messiah album. And uh, there was just a lot of things that were going on with Jesse. And he, and, and Prince didn't even call him directly. Prince had, a, according to Jesse, Prince had some girl that was working for him call him and leave a message and basically said, Prince really wants to talk to you, really, just really, really wants to talk to you. And he didn't return the call. And then, of course, he passed away. And Jesse Johnson really felt like um, he should have gotten over himself. And he, de- he didn't definitely say that. He felt like he should have gotten over himself and that he should have just just called Prince and and put it to rest and just be done with it and just, just be done with it. Just let's, this is, so 
he did say that um, he did say that this that working here or, or that coming to Paisley Park was very very cathartic for him. Uh, he actually said that this was the first time that he had been back to Paisley Park since the filming of Graffiti Bridge. He's never stepped foot in Paisley Park since he did Graffiti Bridge. So it was very emotional and it was a very cathartic moment for him to actually be there and very healing process for him. Uh, he kind of felt like um, he kind of felt like he was just he needed to do it. And he did. Uh, I know that there was a lot of people that were upset. I saw some of the Facebook posts. I saw some of the things that were going on uh, and what people were saying. Some things, some people were just saying ridiculous things. Uh, the reality of it is, is that Jesse Johnson was very much involved in Prince's life. They were roommates together. A lot of people don't know all the stuff that Jesse did. Jesse Johnson did so much for Prince as far as the recording side of things, some of the writing that was involved, all of the background vocals, um, a lot of things that were happening. Um, it just, it just was what it was. Um, for those who, you know, kind of want to do a little bit of visual as far as, you know, what Jesse Johnson was wearing, he was, he was decked out. He had just great, gray pants with, uh, white stripes, uh, very, very dapper. You know, he had this white, this really kind of cool white knit hat that kind of, uh, kind of came up a little bit like a Bob Marley style. Just kind of, kind of came up, but it did have a brim on it. He had a black leather coat, gray scarf, you know, black shoes, and he had, uh, black, shirt with uh these you know those those disco style collars that kind of are more uh i can't think of the word uh, exaggerated collars you know so it was it was really really cool uh again um but he told all kinds of you know stories about um you know coming to practice and you know he was late one time and uh he came to the came to the uh paisley park and, and prince or Prince would run up to him and say, it's about time somebody got here who knows how to dress nice. Um, so anyways, he originally, some of the notes that I had from his panels, that he originally auditioned for bass, uh, but but Morris didn't tell him that. And Morris was Morris was bringing Jesse Johnson to Prince and said, you know, hey, I, I've, I've got somebody I want you to see. Uh, for, for whatever reason, Morris did not want him to play bass. And so he, he, Jesse was supposed to be trying out on bass and Morris said, don't, I just don't, I want you to just play, just play guitar. And, uh, so he showcased his guitar work and Prince liked it. And so that was pretty much it. Uh, but at this point in time, before the time is actually being put together, you know, Morris is actually on tour with Prince during the Dirty Mind tour, and Morris's whole job during the Dirty Dirty Mind tour was to videotape all of Prince's performances. So, so Morris wasn't playing; he was actually touring with Prince during the Dirty Mind tour. Again, I'm being redundant, uh, just videotaping all of his performances, and that was his job. And um, when Prince kind of saw some of his work. Prince came, you know, of course, some people have already heard this story, that Prince came to Jesse's house during the Dirty Mind tour, and, uh, you know, Jesse was like, you obviously, you know, and everybody's kind of sitting, he he was, he mentioned in both panels that, you know, there was these really, really big six foot two, really street guys that were all in there, in a room, whatever, but uh, Jesse really didn't know anything about Prince, really wasn't following Prince, but he knew that he must be somebody, because the second that Prince walked into the room, Everybody that was in there, even the big six foot two huge guys, all just kind of, you know, their demeanor changed. It wasn't like this big tough guy thing. It was all of a sudden they were, um, everybody knew that they were in the presence of, 
you know, of somebody really that they revered, uh, even, even at that point, even during Dirty Mind. I mean, he had already, you know, he was three albums into it and it was, it was starting to get a lot of traction and everybody realized that and treated him as such. Um, but you know, that's where that whole diet, that dialogue happened where he was talking about, uh, he addressed Prince and Morris Day sitting behind him and he says to Prince, so you, you must obviously really dig Hendrix. And Prince says, nah, I've, I've never, I've never really follow him much. And Jesse Johnson goes, man, get out of here. And Morris is freaking out like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're talking to Prince like that. And Prince just kind of holds it together for a little bit. And then he dies laughing. And apparently he falls out of his chair and he's laughing so hard. Like he literally is on the floor holding his stomach laughing so hard. Um, and he told this story both in panel one and panel two. But in panel one, he added a little, another little detail that at the time, um, you know, everybody's just trying to figure out where, you know, meal one is coming, where the next meal is coming from. And as he's falling on the floor, um, a wad of $100 bills falls out of his pocket. And um, once Prince up laughing, the bodyguard, or one of the bodyguards that's there, or one of the guys that's there, picks up the roll and, and hands it to Prince and goes, hey, man, you must have dropped that. And everybody's like kind of looking and like, I, why did you... <laughs> We could, you know, live like kings. What you could have, he would have never missed it, you know, that type of thing. But apparently, you know, anyways. Um, I'm trying to read some of these other notes here. Um, he did say about, you know, again, he did talk about that illegally recorded telephone conversation that happened with him. Um, and, um, and he also talked about, you know, I, I think, you know, some of the things that were going on during the tour didn't really talk anything about the food fights or anything like that. But, you know, that was, um, you know, he did mention about the rift that began to happen when, you know, Prince started handing him uh, care packages. And the care packages were essentially a cassette tape with a bunch of songs, some money, plane tickets and, and whatnot, and some handwritten notes about various things. Uh, but then uh, Jesse started to become a little bit... Um, a little bit annoyed slash protective of his work because he kind of felt like, you know, he, he was doing a really good job and everybody was telling him that he was doing a really good job, but Prince never told him that he did a really good job. And he was just kind of really hurt by that. And he, he read in a magazine article, there was a magazine article that was done, an interview with Prince and Prince had said in the interview, um, the only musician or man I really fear at this point is Jesse Johnson. But Jesse kind of, you know, that's an amazing thing to read in the paper. But on the same note, he didn't, um, he was kind of just perturbed that, that Prince never said that to him. So I think, um, you know, he, he really kind of felt like, you know, after he got blackballed when he left the time to try to do his own solo things and Prince started blocking him and blackballing him in the industry. He did it with Howard Bloom. He did it with Billy Sparks. He did it with all these industry pros and it just got to him. And he just, he felt like he was being, it was hurtful because he felt like he had kind of been there quite a bit for Prince and, and helping him during his process and helping him during his career. And he just felt like it was just not 
it's just not fair. It just, it just felt like it just wasn't fair. Um, and so he felt like he needed to come to Paisley Park and, and cleanse his soul. And he just, you know, he really got choked up and, and teary. Um, and he would tell the stories about uh, Prince and Vanity when they were dating. And, and they would drive around in this little two-seater. And it was like a little Fiat Spider. And and Prince would sit in the Prince would be in the driver's seat. And Vanity would be in the passenger seat. And there was like a little small space between the back of those seats and the window. And that's where Jesse would be cramped and you know shoved in there between the seats. and the. So he would tell all those really uh, cool stories about, you know, how... Prince was just very, very much into kids and was into children and, um, just, um, you know, loved, you know, loved kids and was just, just almost like a doubting father, uh, even with Jesse Johnson's daughter, you know, every single time that Jesse brought his daughter to rehearsal, Prince would have Jesse Johnson's daughter on his, um, on his knee and, you know, would be bouncing, bouncing her and just, you know, hanging out with her. And they called, they called him uncle P and, um, Anyways, so I just think it was just a lot of things, um, and um, I think that for Jesse, there was a lot of things that were going on that he didn't uh, he didn't really have any control over. I think he really wanted to learn about what Prince was doing and kind of replicate some of that success. Um, obviously, there's a lot more to it, but you know, he was really paying attention to Prince's process and, and in actuality, and he didn't really go into this. We had talked about this before. You know, Jesse Johnson was very, very integral in helping Susan Rogers uh, do some of the production work because uh, Susan did a lot of things there uh, that she needed assistance with, that she needed help with. And Jesse would come in and set up the equipment exactly the way that Prince normally liked to have it and would help, you know, make do some of the settings on, on the board if, if Prince was getting frustrated. Uh, so Jesse was integral in a lot of things that were going on during Prince's career. And I just think there's just so many different, um, so many things that, uh, that happened. And uh, he did tell the story about when they were performing on the Grammys and Prince was in this red suit and Jesse Johnson, this was back in like 2008 and Prince was in this uh, red suit and, and was standing kind of behind him and he saw him, Jesse said he saw him out of his peripheral, but you know, he was just, he was just still angry and he was mad at himself that he just, he, he didn't turn and at least say hello. Um, and Jerome was always protecting him. You know, Prince would say to Jerome, does Jesse not see me? And Jerome was like, yeah, he, he's, he, he, I'm sure he sees you. He's probably got a lot in his mind. It's like, is he, you know, mad at me? Is he, he was like, no, he's fine. He's fine. So Jer Jerome was always protecting him and just kind of, you know, trying to smooth things over and, and just let him know that everything was, was good. But, um, all in all, um, he did say that, um, he did regret not reaching out to Prince when he tried to reach out to him. And, um, so, and, and he had done a lot of things too. I mean, um, the song free world that Jesse had wrote, and I wasn't aware of this for whatever reason. I just thought it was just one of these particular songs, but he, the, the, he said free world was about Prince and that, um, it was, it was an angry song about how, people keep comparing him to Prince and he's a totally different individual and that he just didn't feel like, you know, um, he just didn't feel like it was fair that he was continually compared to Prince, even though, you know, there were things that he was doing that were very, very, very much Prince like. So I think, 
it's 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 justifiable. It's very very uh, justifiable. Um, so now we're going to talk about the fun. So that was the Jesse Johnson panel, and I kind of condensed both part one and part two. There were some other items in there as well, but I don't want to give away every little thing that happened. Uh, however, I I kind of want to do just. A little bit more highlights or we're never going to get through this uh, in any order because I'm still in the middle of, of day one and we're already an hour into this so I kind of wanted to make sure that uh, we obviously do things so so here's the first trivia question for those that were paying attention for those that uh, want to uh, for those just joining us I'm sorry but you should have been here at the beginning to kind of, you'll, you'll get another chance I've got two more copies of uh, Eric Leeds and Paul Peterson obviously better known as LP, their brand new album called No Words. I've got two copies here, and one of these two copies is going to the first person that sends me an email to shout at funkatopia.com. That's shout at funkatopia.com and tells me where was Dwayne Tudal heading for his birthday dinner where he was going to eat alone. Where was he heading before I interrupted him and took him someplace else? If you can tell me the name of that restaurant that he was heading to, you're the first person to do that and send me an email to shout at funkatopia.com. You will win a copy of LP album. I told you, you got to pay attention. You got to pay a pension. You got to pay a pension. You hear me? You got to pay a pension. Uh, anyways, so Keep paying attention to some of these details because I'm going to be giving away a, another CD at the top of the hour. Once I get that first person that comes through with that answer, I will get you your. Uh, I'll get. I'll make sure I respond. Um, the next was the Funk Soldiers panel that took place in the NPG Music Club, and that consisted of Ida Nielsen, Cat Dyson, Xavier Taplin, Michael Herring, also known as Fish, and Kit Blackshire. Um, and they kind of all told various stories and, and, and all we've kind of heard, um, you know, they were all kind of telling their stories. Xavier was telling the story about how he came on in 2013 um, and uh, Goucher had actually uh, talked about Xavier to Prince and Prince told him to come out and they ended up doing his jam session, uh, which was just Prince on bass and John Blackwell on bass, and then Xavier had to come out and, and, and play along with them. Uh, and they played like seven, 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 93, 11 for like a half hour. It was like a ridiculous thing. And then he ended up being lucky enough to play on the hit and run phase two. Um, and he was also part of the NPG Q, which was a jazz fusion album that a lot of people have not heard yet. And, and it, it is still, I don't, it still has not seen a release. Uh, hopefully it will at some point in time. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Michael, Michael, uh, Herring, who's better also known as, as Fish. People call him Fish, too, because his last name is Herring. You get it? Uh, he's with the Funky Bald Heads, and he was asked to open for open for Prince in 2001. Uh, 2001. 2001. He played a couple of clips um, where he was playing. They actually showed video clips of uh, playing this unreleased track and, and also... Um, actually, they actually played also a clip of him playing... Uh, Bambi with Prince and Prince was actually on stage and they were kind of jamming. She is all over everything. She had a huge prominence in the two thousands uh, with Prince. She was kind of all over the place, but she's, she's been around for a very, very long time. Um, 
and uh, then of course Kit Blackshire was also there, uh, and he came came in to the scene around 1999 um, and worked on a ton of songs like Call My Name uh, and and a bunch of different things. Um, and there was oh, so he was telling the story of how he was kind of uh, discovered a little bit, not really discovered, but. Uh, Prince had already kind of knew a little bit about where he was, but Kip was playing at uh, at Bunkers in Minneapolis, and Prince had come to the show. Uh, it was Prince and Larry Graham came to the show. Man, what an audience to have there. And uh, Prince came up and jammed on Nothing Compares to You with Kip Blackshire, and then uh, Prince got on the microphone and said, thank you all for coming out, but I've got to steal Kip right now. He's got some work to do and put him in a limo and they drove to Paisley Park and ended up working for the next couple of days at Paisley Park doing some uh, recording on a bunch of different things, uh, including, you know, some of the Rainbow Children stuff and whatnot. Um, And then, of course, Ida, we all know from bass, uh, bassist from Third Eye Girl. um, And Prince actually discovered uh, Ida on her, um, on her MySpace page. Yes, she had a MySpace page and, uh, Prince discovered her there. And of course, what's interesting is that I interviewed both Ida Nielsen and Donna Grantis, and both of them said the exact same thing that they had no idea what third eye girl was. They, they knew that they were making little clips and little funny things and whatnot about third eye girl. But what's an even more interesting thing about this story is that they didn't. They weren't even aware that they were recording an album. They were doing jam sessions and doing full-blown songs and kind of constructing songs. But Ida was saying that they were in the studio and that um, the studio didn't look like it was set up for like you know you're at Paisley Park. It just seems like everything's going to be you know professionally set up and that everything's going to be looking nice. But the drums didn't you know weren't soundproofed. It just they're just there wasn't the typical telltale signals that this studio is being set up currently for uh for a recording process it was just done so differently um and they then all of a sudden all the songs that they had been working on ended up being put together in a compilation to eventually create what you know as plectrum electrum so i think that was kind of interesting that they were going through all this recording processes and they, and they thought that they were just committing them, committing the ideas to a recording to be used at a later time. And it ended up being that that was there technically were recording their own album. Um, and, uh, they were asked, you know, what are the most difficult, what are the most difficult things about working with Prince? And one of the things that Xavier said that it was the, the hardest thing for him was juggling life outside of Prince and everybody on stage agreed. And and there's nobody that's worked with Prince that wouldn't say otherwise, because just, he was a never ending machine. You know, nobody ever thought that he slept. It was just, he was always on. He would have four things going on at Paisley Park at one time. He would be having a recording session going on with one person in, in studio A and then another one going on in studio B and then somebody else would be having a jam session over here that he'd come in on. It was just a lot of things that were going on. And, um, it was just, you know, your phone has to be off when you're in Paisley park. And then when it, once it's done, you turn it back on and you're playing catch up. I mean, I even experienced that just when I was at Paisley park for the celebration. I mean, they, you turn off your phone, you put it in the bag. And then once it's over, you, you pick up your 
phone and you turn it on and the next thing you know, you have 20 emails. I mean, I do. Uh, you have 20 emails and a bunch of messages and a, a few missed calls. And I mean, I can't even imagine if you're doing one of these long, you know, long, insane 24 hour recording sessions where you're in there forever and then you're playing catch up. And by the time you get finally get caught up, you're back in the studio again doing doing something else. Uh, and they were just talking about some of the, the picky things that um, Prince would do. Um, and Xavier, once again, he came up with a great story about how Prince fired a catering company because they had made his the food on his plate look like a face. And apparently, Prince hates that. Those are some things that I learned throughout. Uh, I, one of the things I learned this, that I didn't learn until day four uh, was that Prince hates cats. I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that he had such an aversion to cats, but he like really hates cats. And apparently he also hates his food being put into the shape of a face, you know, so they like, you know, had peas for the hair and like used like wedges or whatever for the mouth. And they made it into a face and somebody else in the band, I can't remember who they, who they said, but somebody else in the band knew that that was a pet peeve of his. And when they all came out and they saw that the food was shaped like a face on the plates, they mumbled, somebody's getting fired. And sure enough, he let the catering company go because, um, <laughs> because they, that's exactly what they did. Um, and of course, Xavier also had a really great quote that nothing is for certain. Oh, no, sorry. The one thing that is for certain is that nothing is for certain. <laughs> I felt like I had to write that down. So now we're closing out day one and, um, just Jesse Johnson and he's playing his concert. So we're obviously a little bit curious about, uh, exactly what his, uh, concert is going to be, how the day is going to go. And it is, uh, everybody that's there at the concert, as far as players are concerned, weren't listed. They were, I guess they were, they were session musicians, so at no point in time, I didn't recognize any of them and Jesse didn't introduce them. So if you happen to be listening and you were on the keyboards, um, he had a male keyboardist, a, a female keyboardist, uh, somebody that was playing drums. I couldn't really tell, uh, honestly, uh, and uh, somebody on bass and he did not name any of them. So the set list for Jesse Johnson's concert, for those who are interested, Love Struck is what they opened up with. It was a very, very long instrumental version of that song at the beginning. Um, and then they went into Love Struck, followed by Be Your Man, then Controversy, Jungle Love. And those uh, those three songs, particularly, the reason why um, they were there was because he said that particular trio of songs be your man controversy and jungle love those were put together because those were his first um those were all his first be your man was his very first hit controversy was um the first song that i guess he had he had actually seen uh prince do and gotten involved with with prince at that point and jungle love was this first major hit that he had had with any band um so he had that then i want your girl I'm sorry, I want my girl. Uh, I feel for you, which started out the normal pattern, and then he rocked it up at the end. And one of the things that he, a story that he told also uh, that that kind of reminded me of is that he never knew that it was Prince's song. He thought it was Shaka Khan's song. 
And so every single time that Prince played that song, Jesse would always tease him and go up and say, I love how you played that girl song. <laughs> Prince was like, shut up. Uh, he played the first verse to Brand New Day. And then he went into My Life. Then he did Can You Help Me, Addiction, which was a surprise, actually. He did a real super small, a few bar excerpt from Purple Rain, just enough to recognize it. And then he then he stopped playing it. And then he went into Black in America. And then he did this um, instrumental. And I can't remember the name of it to save my life. It was an instrumental that he closed with, but it's, it's off of verbal penetration. Uh, but I, I can't remember what it is. Um, I can't remember what it is. But anyways, then that was. Um, and then he ended the show by saying, thank you for being my therapy. And that was it. That was the close of day one. Um, and I think, again, I've covered most of day one. So now we're going to be covering uh, day two. And then between day two and day three, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna do a giveaway, an LP CD. Uh, we will do um, we will do that. Uh, yes, we will do that. Again, Jesse Johnson closed the entire day with thank you for being my therapy. Uh, celebration day two. Again, J.D. Steele is still hosting. There was a concert viewing to start the show, which was um, June 7th, 2014 from Vienna, Austria, which was the final concert for the Hit and Run Part 2, and also Prince's uh, 56th birthday, apparently. Sorry, uh, 56th birthday. And um, the people that were there, uh, Cassandra Wilson was on keys, Hannah Welton was on drums, Eda Nelson was on bass, Donna Grantis was on guitar. These, uh, he and, and when JD came out, he was announcing the people that were on this thing. He also mentioned Joshua too, but I didn't see him anywhere in there. I don't think the clips that they used actually showcased uh, Joshua. Uh, basically, it was Third Eye Girl, and there was parts... It was basically Third Eye Girl, but there were parts where Cassandra was up on the keys, up on this riser behind um, behind Donna, and they would only show her occasionally. So she was just there to, I guess, kind of fill some things in. Uh, but anyways, um, so the uh, starts out with this, and it was a two and a half hour show, but they edited it down for the show for for the celebration, obviously. And it ended up being like only like a little under an hour. Uh, but they played guitar. Uh, then they did an instrumental. Then Crimson and Clover. And uh, he also did She's Always in My Hair. And he really destroyed the lyrics in that song. A very funny. And then, of course, Cassandra comes in and helps him out with Purple Rain. And then they went into Play That Funky Music, Screwdriver, Funk and Roll. Uh, and then What's My Name with... Uh, lyrics that were incorporated from Sacrifice of Victor. You know, I was born on a bloodstained table, cold, wrapped around my neck, that stuff. Uh, so anyways, and he, he always did that for What's My Name. Matter of fact, he did that when he invited Kendrick Lamar out to Paisley Park and they did Call My Name. And they just, he loved the lyrics from Sacrifice of Victor. Um, and he's always incorporated that. He did that a lot in the last few years. Um, and then, what do I have written down here? Um, then it was Jeff Katz's panel after that concert thing. And 
he mentioned that this was his very first speaking engagement. Uh, and a lot of people know Jeff Katz's work. He did the Parade album cover. He did the Family's album cover. Um, and he was 25 years old when he was asked to go to France and do the photography for Under the Cherry Moon. And that cover that is on Parade, where it's black and white and it shows you know, Prince you know, kind of holding his hands up, that picture was taken within the first five minutes of him being there. It literally was captured on the first roll of film that he had, which is pretty friggin' amazing. Pretty, pretty amazing. He also did the shoot for Sign of the Times. And, of course, you got the look, you know, where Prince is wearing the fur jacket and all the beads and everything. Um, and he used a bunch of pieces from for the Sign of the Times album cover the Chanhassen Dinner Theater was apparently doing a um, the Chanhassen Dinner Theater was apparently doing a, a presentation or a production, uh, more or less, of Guys and Dolls, and they had all these um, neon signs and everything that were already hung up. And so Jeff went and took pictures of that stage setting, and that is a lot of what you see at the um, at on the Sign of the Times album cover. So there's a lot of you know, the transposing and things that are happening. He also shot the Diamonds and Pearls uh, album cover. Uh, he also did the Mountains photo shoot, you know, the one where you know Prince is wearing the wide brim hat. Um, and he also shot Prince in his cloud suit and Raspberry Beret. Um, and what's interesting is is that when Rolling Stone, the the Rolling Stone cover that features Prince on the cover from that where he's wearing that cloud suit that is not a picture that rolling stone took they actually screen captured that from the video if you can imagine that like that's that doesn't seem like real typical that's reason why it looks the way that it does it doesn't look as clean as some of the other stuff that you would typically see on a rolling stone album or magazine cover um so i i thought that was an interesting to denote that uh Rolling Stone didn't even bother to even do a photo shoot. They just took that photo shoot from the uh, from the TV for the cover. Um, and he also showcased some other really strange pictures. There's one where Prince is like on that mural wall. I can't remember which, which one it was, but he's like pressed up against the wall and he's got his butt sticking out. And of course, all the girls went wild when they, they showed that picture. Um, and of course, he's got him roller skating in some spandex uh, pants with this fishnet shirt and on roller skating on some basketball court or something. It was the weirdest shot that I'd ever seen. But uh, hopefully Jeff is going to be able to put together a book that is going to feature some of these crazy shots um, that he's got. And of course, there was also some other shots that he showed that had never been seen before too. There's one that was a super close-up shot of Prince's uh, right thigh and his belly button and it was like just that's all there was it was a huge picture that kind of you know showed him and his yeah it was just it was it was a very it was this super close-up almost borderline exotic shot that just kind of made the the girls just go insane and he also showcased a picture of prince playing pool billiards and he noted he noted that you know a lot of people talked about how amazing that Prince was on the, the Prince was on the basketball court, but nobody ever really typically mentions the how amazing 
of a billiard player that he was. How, how he was an incredible pool player. He was just really, really good. Jeff said that, you know, he was good at basketball, but he was really good at pool. And I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever heard that. And that was essentially the Jeff Katz panel because he had. what you're seeing but hopefully again a book will come out that will have you know some type of um some type of of notation on that um then um then of course we did the graffiti bridge panel and that featured uh uh craig rice ingrid chavez tc ellis and it was moderated by the photographer Steve Park, who was all around the the, sh the celebration. So there's going to be a lot of pictures that are going to come from Bryce. For those of you who have seen him, he he's been involved in a lot of things. He also you know manages a lot of different bands and whatnot. But um, he actually they were talking specifically about the graffiti bridge. Uh, movie and Craig was the one who produced the film and um, he essentially wanted it to be a new age musical is essentially how it was kind of being marketed or put together and obviously it really didn't end up that way it was kind of a little bit unusual and TC was talking about how his primary duty was to constantly bug Prince to let him rap on the album uh Ingrid Chavez, you've heard her tell the the song, the uh, story about Gertrude and Dexter, where uh, Prince came up to Ingrid and, at, and matter of fact, we did the interview here and she talked about Gertrude and Dexter and um, Prince came up to Ingrid and asked him who she was and he said Gertrude and he said, well, my name is Dexter and so, um, and then. Um, Let's see what else. Oh, and then of course, he had filled her house with a bunch of white flowers. I think there was some. This again, I'm just kind of going over some of the um, items. Um, and then Steve also talked a little bit about that. Even though Steve was moderating, Steve talked about a little bit about creating the painting that you know as Graffiti Bridge, the one that kind of collage of a bunch of things. And it was an actual, you know, huge piece of artwork and Prince liked it and said I want to use it for graffiti bridge but I want you to take that out in a, a, a picture of Morris you know do a picture of more and that's kind of how Prince wanted it put together okay to take that painting and sand off whatever was there originally and put in a picture of 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 Morris and and taking sandpaper and sanding a certain area and then putting Ingrid in so it was just a lot of work to kind of do all these things and you know still kind of change it to kind of get a little bit of a feel for the film and and to have some kind of continuity and not look so crazy and uh he was just freaked out when you know he had already finished his painting and he was really proud of it and then prince and then put put images in that it was just that was it was crazy and of course then to finish off the graffiti bridge panel uh, T.C. Ellis had to do his uh, Minneapolis history rap. He was doing uh, he was doing that, which was, you know, that's last celebration. T.C. Ellis did the exact same thing at Bunkers during Jellybean Johnson experience was on the was on the stage. And uh, T.C. Ellis uh, kind of pushed his way up on stage and did this, did that rap. And of course, he did it here again. 
at this celebration as well. Um, and that was essentially, um, and that was essentially day two, with the exception of the, um, with the exception of the show, which was the concert that was done at the Armory in Minneapolis, which is located down on Sixth Street down in Minneapolis, and a lot of people were. Um, this was the exact same concert that we saw last year at the Target Center. And it was, uh, for those who are, you know, wondering, well, I, I didn't hear you talk about this last year. So, so tell me a little bit about it. Well, I will tell you about it. Um, to start, it's, it starts out with Alicia Keys, the famous intro that she does with Prince and the set list is as follows for that Prince in Concert on the Big Screen. Dance, Music, Sex, Romance, Pop Life, Musicology, Prince and the Band, Extraordinary, Let's Go Crazy, Delirious, then back to Let's Go Crazy, 1999, Little Red Corvette, When Doves Cry, and then of course he does this little, these little pieces. He has a, a keyboard that kind of plays little pieces and whatnot of, uh, of the show. Uh, of little songs. He played like a little piece of Nasty Girl. He played a little piece of Darling Nikki. He played a little piece of Sign of the Times. He played a little piece of 777-9311. Then he played a little bit of, of a Beautiful uh, beautiful Girl. Um, uh, could you be the most beautiful girl in the world? And then, of course, then he went back to the normal length songs. He played uh, Uptown, Raspberry Beret, Cream, Cool, mixed with Michael Jackson's Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, Let's Work, You Got the Look, If I Was Your Girlfriend, Insatiable, Scandalous, Adore, Nothing Compares to You, Take Me With You, Another Lever Hole in Your Head, with that closing rock lobster ending, the da 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 Then they went into uh, controversy, and then of course it broke down with just Prince playing piano only, and then he, he was playing The Beautiful Ones, Diamonds and Pearls, something in the water and then how come you don't call me anymore and then the band came back out and um they were playing this this medley with dance with me in the disco heat uh then of course baby i'm a star kiss and of course ending with purple rain complete with the the string section at the end and then of course everybody cries and then leaves again if you saw the show last year Exact same show. Now, here's what I can say about some of these. Uh, one of the things I, I missed when I was coming out of uh, uh, day one here was we were talking about some of the things that were going on in Minneapolis. I neglected to talk about those things. So we're probably going to do a little bit of a reverse here uh, to talk about some of those items. But one of the things I did want to say to anybody from Paisley Park who may be listening regarding these concert screenings, um, all of the concert screenings that they played pretty much primarily focused on the hits. We all love the hits. Don't get me wrong. So when you're releasing albums, I know why you're releasing this Prince Originals album because a lot of people were familiar with those songs and it's Prince performing them. So that's kind of cool because we know we know all those tunes that are on that album and uh, so do the general public. And so it's going to be here. It's going to be cool to hear Prince doing those versions of those songs. So I get why you release certain things the way that you release them because you need the most people to 
buy this album as possible. But if you're going to be showing concert screenings at the celebration and all this other stuff, I, I really think that we would appreciate seeing some concert screenings that don't all focus on the hits because every single concert screening was pretty much the hits. I mean, we had the time that was a little bit different, but all of them were all, you know, we heard 1999 and all of them, we heard let's go crazy and all of them, we had kiss and all of them, we heard cream and all of them. It's, it's, it's just hearing the same songs over and over and over again, when he has such a vast library of work to choose from. And especially if you really want these are people that paid, a minimum of $550 to come and sit inside of this house. These are not your Fairweather fans. These are people that know everything this man has ever done. They know all the bootlegs. They know most of that stuff that's in that vault that you have yet to release. They know most all these things. You need to be breaking out all this stuff from these, these after parties and these things that are happening that we know are out there. And we would just, I mean... I would kill to see some of these after-party things where he's doing these blues sessions or he's doing these jam sessions with with Chuck D and Digital Underground. Uh, it's just some of these crazy things that we know are out there, but they but they feel like people just need to see these concert screenings that have these items in it that are all the hits. We know all the hits. That That's for the general public. These are your hardcore fans that are inside of the celebration right now. These are the hardcore fans. And I just think that that's kind of where it needs to be. And Mary just sent me an email saying Prince did not hate cats, that he had a cat named Paisley, and it was in a video, and he didn't hate cats. Well, uh, Wendy and Lisa told a very, very different story and uh, said that Prince uh hated cats and that literally he would come over their house and sleep on their couch and their cat would come and crawl up on him and um he wouldn't he refused to even touch the cat he hated cats and that he wouldn't he had to have he had to have one of them come out and take the cat off of his chest because he was just freaking out and that he did not like cats so very two totally different stories uh that's just the reality of it yes you can actually send me uh, emails to shout at Funkatopia.com. If I get through this quick enough uh, with with day three and day four, um, I'll op- maybe open up the phone lines and let you guys chat for you know some time. But I, I got a feeling we're going to be running up towards the wire on this as it is. Um, so there's I, I don't even know if I'm going to even be able to get into some of the Minneapolis stuff that we were uh, that was going on that day one stuff that I that happened. Um, there were some really, really cool things. The thing Shelby J uh, and with Adrian Crutchfield was at the Capri Theater, and I to- I was told that uh, this was on Thursday night. We're kind of we're going backwards here just for a second before we go to day three. Um, I was told that uh, Donna Grantis came out. Pretty much all of Third Eye Girl supposedly came out. Hannah came out. Uh, Donna Grantis came out. Ida came out, and and it was just like this huge party thing. So it was pretty awesome. Jellybean Johnson also had a, a, an event called Nothing Compares to P where it was a bunch of live bands that were playing a lot of Prince stuff. Jellybean was there uh, the whole night. Uh, matter of fact, you got, most of you have already heard the new bumper that Jellybean did. We were at the celebration. And then of course, uh, Rodney Fitzgerald had um, 360, he runs 365 a celebration and he did part one of his party, Purple Party with DJ Lenka Paris. 
and that was a blast and um it was a lot of fun it was just a it was just very very cool uh and then of course on day two which was when we what we just got done talking about that has you know the movie and everything uh donna grandis and eden nielsen were playing at electric fetus and of course they both had their new albums um donna donna Dennis has her new album and Edith has her new album, both again at Electric Fetus. And then, of course, uh, Rodney had his celebration, um, part two of his celebration at Perkins Pancake House in Chanhassen, uh, which Michael Dean was doing uh, his Prince podcast there, his podcastjuice.net. He was doing his his whole uh, thing there. Also, earlier in the night as well, uh, LP was in concert. Eric Leeds and St. Paul Peterson were playing um, and even... Um, uh, his uh, Paul's brother was actually playing keyboards too. But anyways, it was this jam session uh, with LP, and that was a lot of fun uh, as well. And I, I, that's actually where I got these uh, CDs from. Was that was that concert? If you didn't attend the Facebook Live meeting, I told I told a story that uh, I stole all the CDs. I, I actually stole four CDs by accident. They were all shrink wrapped together, and I thought it was like a double album thing. And I was like, "Well, I I really love what they're doing. I'm going to pick up this double album." I put it in my hand. I had it in my hand with my notebook where I'm taking all these notes, and I had it in my hand. And then Paul Peterson, Paul started talking to me, and then uh, Mr. Kagan started talking to me. Dance nut. Uh, then who else came up? Uh, Joe from Foe. They, you guys hear, hear their bumper all the time. Foe was there. Uh, Adam from Lake Minnetonka was there. Everybody was there and everybody was talking to me. And I just, there was just a bunch of stuff going on. I, I leave the LP show to head out to uh, Rodney's thing at Perkins. And I get in my car and start going and um, realize that I just stole this uh, stack of that this the cd and then i was like oh man well maybe i'll see paul and i'll just i'll just pay him for it it was a mistake i'll make sure i make do i open up the open up the shrink wrap and it's four cds that are shrink wrapped together it's not one double album it's four cds and uh so i got four cds of the exact same album uh which is kind of funny and uh so uh diane won the first one on facebook live and uh, who was the person who won the second one? Uh, Carrie Chadbourne uh, won the uh, second one. And I do have one more left, and I'll be giving that away uh, within a half hour here before 10 o'clock. I'll be giving you some trivia. This one's going to be a little bit harder of a trivia, and I don't know if uh, anybody's going to be able to get this one. Well, I don't know if I want to make it too too difficult, uh, but it is what it is. All right, so... Um, so I've got one more CD to give away for that. Uh, so now let's move forward to day three. Celebration day three, we're on uh, Saturday. And before the celebration even starts, for me personally, uh, went to um, went to Electric Fetus and um, saw Ashley Tamar. She actually has a brand new uh, EP out, and I don't know if you can pick it up or not. She only brought 100 copies with her uh, to Electric Fetus, and it was uh, Not in the Vault Volume 1 is what it was called. I will let you... Um, I will I will let you... Um, I, here, here's what I'll do. I, I'll just let you imagine... <laughs> Let's 
<laughs> what that means. The, the title of the CD is Not in the Vault, Volume 1. I'll leave it at that. I'll let Ashley speak for herself, but it's five songs that are on here. Two songs that were already previously released. Uh, Redhead Stepchild, which features Prince on it. Uh, All I Want Is You, uh, which was actually on um, the Milk and Honey Project. But then there's three more songs that are on here, too. And it's on an EP called Not in the Vault, Volume 1. Anyway, so you only had 100 of these CDs, and I went and I grabbed one uh, and was able to hang out there. Uh, also, later on that night, um, also on later on that night, they had uh, Ingrid Chavez and Jerome Benton at Umbra. Uh, Ingrid actually did a performance there, and I would have loved to, to, to have gone, but the problem was, was that um, I was stuck at... Um, I was not stuck. I was at the celebration and my track was happening when her performance happened. So I was kind of really, really bummed out that I was not able to make it uh, to her performance. If anybody has any of that on video, I would love to see it. Please send it to me at shout at funkatopia.com. I would love to see it. Uh, Ingrid, if you got a recording of that, I know you listen to the show all the time. Can you please uh, send me a copy? I would love to, I would love to see it. Uh, I desperately, desperately um, uh, wanted to see it. And so also, before we start talking about day three as well, I want to start talking about um, the other things that were going on. Every, there was a bunch of people that went to uh, a couple of dance parties that were happening, Love to the Nines, and also the Dance Electric 4, old school company. People were, and also Party Uptown. Everybody was saying these, these were the jam. But then New Power Generation played at the Fine Line in Minneapolis, and Jerome Benton was supposed to come there and actually introduce the band, and I guess he couldn't make it. And so uh, Jill reached out to me, who is the manager for uh, MPG, and said, can you can you come and introduce the band? And I was literally parking the car, and I had to run up the sidewalk because they were about to start. I had to run up the sidewalk, uh, dig out my driver's license at the door, get my backstage pass, and I was running through there, got to the door, opened up the door to the backstage, and the whole band, Morris Hayes, uh, all of them are there waiting for me. Levi, all of them are there waiting for me. And Jill was like, go up on stage, introduce them now. <laughs> I literally had to run in there. So I got to run up on stage in front of hundreds of people and got the honor of introducing uh, New Power Generation to the Minneapolis crowd, and it was fantastic. We had such a great time. And for those of you who wanted to know what the set list was for NPG, I will tell you what that set list was. It was, and we're talking about what's happening on the evening of uh, day three. We have not talked about Celebration Day 3 yet. We're going to talk about that uh, in just a moment. But uh, it was Gold Nigga, You Got the Look, Sexy MF, Cream, Seven, Call My Name, Goldie's Parade with Johnny, Together, Girls and Boys, Beautiful, Loved and Blessed with Tamar on vocals. Tamar was actually there. She got, I love Tamar. She's so, so much fun. But she actually does perform that song, as you know. And she came on stage and actually performed it and killed it. Uh, Delirious, Johnny. Then Tamar came out again and she did uh, Redhead Stepchild and also uh, did deuce and called law with the band as well and also did nothing compares to you with the band and then love that will be done when doves cry could never take the place of your man the cross come on 
a brand new NPG song, which has been out for a little bit now, called Funkify, and it is incredible. Incredible. You absolutely, positively must find that uh, single. It is really great. It's called Funkify. Then they did Get Off, The Sacrifice of Victor, and they did bother. Now they they had it on the set list that they were going to be doing an encore, and they did not do the encore. They 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 just ran right into the music, and they did uh, Cool, and then Purple Rain. Now Let's Go Crazy is actually uh, put on here as part uh, in between Cool and Purple Rain, but that did not happen. But that is an incredible set list. That is how you do a set list. That is how you do a set list. And what the Funk Soldiers did on the night of day three is how you do a set list for hardcore Prince fans. That's how you do it, right there. That's it. <laughs> 